You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, a free agent edition, as I provide insight into two new Washington players, William Jackson III and receiver Curtis Samuel. My ESPN colleagues were terrific about them. Ben Baby from Cincinnati, who covered Jackson, and David Newton from Carolina, who of course covered Samuel. David provides some caution on the Samuel signing, though I do have a different take than him. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben underscore Baby and David at DNewton.com. ESPN. You can read all our work on ESPN.com. We have a free agent tracker on the site for each team, including obviously, of course, Washington, that provides insight and analysis on every signing. It's good stuff, folks, and it helps you learn about Washington and also anyone else you want to know about. Before I share my conversations with Ben and David, a few thoughts as usual. I've talked to more than a few agents the last couple of days, and when I ask about quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, their voices light up. Some of these agents have had clients who played with him. They absolutely love him. One agent told me he loved his guy to play with him. The same agent had told me before a couple of weeks ago that he wouldn't want his, his receiver clients to have anything to do with this quarterback situation. A little bit different now. They know his reputation in the locker room, but it's because of his willingness to throw the ball and spread it around. Of course, the agents don't care about turnovers, wins or losses. They're worried about receiver stats. That's part of what they, that's the appeal for him. And Fitzpatrick is willing to attack, give guys a chance. And that's what players like. And of course, it's what agents um, like as well. Whether they win or not with him, I don't know. That's not what they're saying. But I do think the receivers will be happy. I know they like that he's a relatively accurate quarterback, especially in certain areas um, between one and 10 yards. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, one agent, also an ex-player, told me how fun he thought Washington would be to watch, and that was before it added Samuel. Fitzpatrick ranked seventh last week, last season, an average yards gained per dropback. A couple more stats. His percentage of interceptions per pass attempt was 3.0, which was sixth worst in the league, but Alex Smith had the fourth worst last season. Typically not in his career, but last season. It's not as if um, he's going to be bombs away down the field. In fact, he had one of the lower rates of passes, 20 yards or more attempted. He attempted just 17 of those in his starts last year. I think it was um, seven starts, I think it was. But he also had one of the lowest rates of passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. So the intermediate area, 10 to 19, between 10 and 19 yards, completed 53.9% through six of his eight picks in that area. He's at his best from the line to 10 yards, which is where Samuel does his best work too. Now, I do think that he'll give guys a shot down the field when you have guys that, you're, that he's comfortable throwing with. You saw that in Tampa um, a few years ago. And I think if you have some of that here with McLaurin and Cam Sims, I think that's a definite um, thing as well. Um, speaking of Sims, and I wasn't going to get into this too much, but I know 
you know, they with signing Samuel and would would they draft someone else? Well, they got Antonio Gandy Golden last year. Has to show a lot more, folks. It didn't see enough in training camp. I think he could help as a blocker. I think there's some things you can do because of his size. I think this offense typically requires some big body receivers, but that's why they wanted to bring Cam Sims back. I think they're crossing their fingers on him that what he showed at the end of last year, maybe he could develop into something even a little bit more than that. If not, then you you see what Gandy Golden can do, and you also have Kelvin Harmon coming back. Anyways, more on that in another episode. With William Jackson, the consensus of people I talked to was that he was easily an upgrade over Ronald Darby. One assistant coach whose team played against the Bengals said he was an excellent man, good, but not elite. And when you talk elite corners, you're talking top 10, even maybe less than that. I think it's really hard to find a corner. It just is a, 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 an elite corner and a top corner. Jackson hasn't made a Pro Bowl, been, or been named All-Pro. The latter is elite level. Pro Bowl, popularity, All-Pro, sign of the play. It does seem like Cincinnati wasn't convincing him long-term, which is why they signed Trey Waynes to a similar deal last offseason. But Jackson was also coming off a tough year with, after an injury, so it did make some sense. He is good, though, and anyone I asked about him said exactly that and that it was an upgrade, and it was a good move for them. Now, I did ask Ben about his ability to play zone because Darby also came here as a man corner and was asked to play a lot of zone. And you saw him maybe struggle with some of that early in the season. Doesn't mean Jackson will, but I saw Darby do that. And I'm not sure that they're going to play. I don't know if they're going to play a ton more man just because of Jackson. I don't know that. Um, And I don't know that they won't. He may give them some more ability to be creative, though, with man on one side, zone on the other. Man does not suit all the corners here. Though I do know that Jimmy Moreland played a lot of that, played that in college as well. And I think he'd probably be comfortable with that. But we'll see what happens there. I do think, and you'll hear from Ben, about could he fit, how would, how did he fit into his own, what could he do there? I think sometimes it's a matter of the guy was really good in man, so you're going to use him there, but it wasn't like the Bengals' defense was very good either, so I do think they'll still mix it up here, I think. As for Samuel, one key for Washington was seeing how he developed last year. David, David Newton, is a bit skeptical of this arrangement because, but I think it works because they did see how well he performed in an expanded role and in the slot in particular. They did an analysis of his game. That's what they found. And that was going on without Christian McCaffrey around. When they had him, they had McCaffrey too. So just know that. But David saw how two groups used him. So I wanted to get his insight. And he certainly flourished last season with a different group. One thing I've seen here, and it happened last year too, the coaches in the front office are on the so-called same page. When that's the case, you sign guys while also having a plan for them. Didn't always happen in the past. And that was part of the big problem here, among other things. One last note, people ask about safety trade Boston as a possibility. If they signed him, what I've been told is that it would be, they would look at that after the draft. See what you get or don't get in the draft, then reevaluate that spot. Now, I don't know if there's going to be anybody else who they might sign before then, but for Boston in particular, that would be his market most likely. That's another key part of free agency is that that post-draft stuff. I, that is also true of Ryan Kerrigan. I'm not sure how his market is really developing. He's obviously still unsigned. Some teams I talked to viewed him as a situational guy. He wants to start. Um, I, you know, I'd be curious to see if the Colts do anything because they could use somebody there. I don't talk to all the teams, so I don't know how everybody views him. I just know that. But the door is not closed on his return here if he's still free after the draft and if the sides can make it work. Anyway, I have more on all that in other episodes. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's David Newton to talk all things Curtis Samuel. Why is he skeptical? 
Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Kahn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team, everything you want you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's David Newton. Well, David, I think you could almost become my my co-host here because you're on a lot because of this connection with Carolina and Washington, of course, getting Curtis Samuel. Um, I think people know a little bit of what they're getting because they've heard about him so much. But you've covered him now for a few years. What are, in your estimation, what are they getting? Well, I mean, my my first look at this is they're they're getting a quality receiver, not a one receiver. I, I really don't think he's a great fit for that offense unless they change some things up. Um, I was I was doing a story earlier this year, and an offense like what you have at Carolina, an offense like at New Orleans, Kansas City, where they use his versatility, ability to be a receiver and be a running back. I think that's where he's most valuable, and you saw. The Panthers get the most out of him with Joe Brady last year, particularly without Christian McCaffrey. So, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to use him or line him up in the backfield a whole lot at Washington. They may use him on a lot of the, the sweeps, jet sweeps, and things like that. But um, and he's a he's a super nice guy. He's a guy that can can make some big plays. But he really had not done a lot injuries and things and kept him back the first few years. And he not done a lot until he got in Joe Brady's offense. The fact I, I put on Twitter today that you know Joe Brady's biggest production came today when. When Curtis got 11.5 million average per year, I, I know that could change when they get the contract. But now the number three receiver for the Carolina Panthers, who was their three receive, third receiver, is now making more per year than their number one and two. Um, and that's going to change when DJ Moore next year uh, gets a new contract. But really, I, the Panthers just – I just never saw them keeping him. They had their focus on putting the franchise tag on Taylor Moton because they needed to build the offensive line. So I really never saw a place for Curtis on this roster. So you're like you're you're like the wet blanket for all these people tuning in because <laughs> they want like they love you because you're always giving good insight on these guys. But I want to follow on that because he was there for a couple of years with this group. In the second year, he or the the year the year that Rivera left, he was starting to blossom more as a receiver based on the stats. Do you were they like how were they using him that year? Because I remember when Washington played him, it did seem like they're using him a lot as a receiver. A little only I think he only had like 19 carries that year, though. Yeah, it was kind of hot and cold. In fact, uh, from people I've talked to, so they were actually Ron Rivera was thinking about trading him his last year there, but Marty Herney didn't want to trade him. Felt he had a valuable commodity in him, and so now all of a sudden, both Marty and and Rod have got him there in Washington. It was kind of ironic in a lot of ways. But well, the funny thing I, is, like, he's, he wanted to trade for him last year, right? And you know, again, I think that uh, Curtis is a quality receiver. I just don't think he's a number one receiver. And you know, I'm not even sure totally if he's a, a solid number two. I, I think 
where Carolina played him, where he used a versatile role and, and kind of as their number three receiver, was really a good fit for him. And that's why I mentioned the teams I did in Kansas City and New Orleans, teams where I thought that they use a lot of the same formations that they do here at Carolina and and use the versatility of those guys a lot. So, no, this has nothing bad to say about Curtis. I think he's he's great leader in the, in the clubhouse. Matt Rule has talked repeatedly about how he'd love to be able to keep him. Um, just because of what he brings on the field and his attitude and his work ethic and everything. But, again, the, the money just wasn't there. The Panthers had way too many other needs in wide receiver to try to build their roster to the level they want to get it to. Well, with do you think he got more carries this year because of how they wanted to use him or because McCaffrey was out and maybe maybe he was able to show an expanded level of his game? Well, that's the other thing. A lot of it was because McCaffrey was out. And with McCaffrey expected to be back full this year, a lot of those touches, at least as a running back, are going to disappear. And, and truthfully, a lot of his catches would disappear too because when McCaffrey's been there, when he's been healthy the two previous years, he was their leading receiver. And, um, you know, that would have knocked Curtis down to the fourth receiver uh, in that format. So from that standpoint, I feel like they feel comfortable that they've, they've got enough weapons and they can add another receiver, you know, through a mid – level round pick in the draft that can fill that third or fourth receiver spot. And I will say like they, they use, they have JD McKissick and Antonio Gibson who both have versatility in the way they would line them up. They would use Gibson in, in the slot sometimes and get him the ball as a carrier out of the slot. They would line up McKissick a little bit in different places. So my guess is, and I, I listen, if they don't tap into that versatility, they're making a mistake. Because that's his strength. So I agree with you. If they don't do that, that's a problem. I think they will. But you saw this staff in action. How did he? He came out of Ohio State as a, as a running back. So how did he improve as a receiver from what you saw? Well, I mean, he started off as a running back. Then he, they moved into receiver, and he really played so well there. He never got many touches. A lot more touches as a running back. Again, I talked to his running backs coach last year for a story, and uh, and he said he was so good as a receiver that she. You, you didn't really have to spend a lot of time with him, you know, at the running back position because he knew what to do when he got there. Uh, and I think receiver is his natural position. He can also return kicks. So you can look at him as a potential guy there, although the Panthers really, because he's always done on the offensive side, have kind of held him back from doing that the last few years. But uh, he's a guy that, again, he's, he's to me, he's McCaffrey light. He's, he's not as – uh, dynamic as Christian McCaffrey is as a receiver or as a running back, but he does a lot of the same things that Christian McCaffrey does in terms of being that guy that can play all over the field. I mean, they can line him up at any wide receiver spot and in the backfield, so that'll that'll give them some, I guess, what Ron likes to call and even Matt Rule here, position flexibility, where you can keep defenses off balance with where you line up the guys. And uh, I think that's a strong point. Again, I I just never saw him as being a true number one, first of all. That's why I didn't think he was going to get the, the number one money. And I guess he's – I consider that number two money, what he's got there. But um, I'm not even sure he's going to fall into that category now. It just depends on how you use him. If you use him the right way, he can be a very, very good weapon. And, and I, I wholeheartedly – like I said, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think based on conversations, my sense is that, that they would, but – you know, what you think in March doesn't always play out in September because sometimes you have these plans and you get to the season and realize, well, you're doing this and this. But I would think they would because, again, that's why you're paying him is for that. 
Now, yep. the one thing the only evidence I've got is when Samuel was under Ron here at Carolina, he really didn't flourish as a receiver, and he didn't get that many carries in the backfield. Right. He only really flourished when McCaffrey was out and, and when Joe Brady was putting his offensive scheme to, to work. So in within that, like one thing I noticed too is like and he's obviously a speed guy. He's got really good speed, but he's only getting about eleven yards per catch or so. It wasn't like you know. So how was he used in terms of using that speed? How did they tap into that more? Well, I mean, there were times a few years ago when when Cam Newton was in and you know he was struggling a little bit that that you would see Samuel get open deep and. Cam would just flat out miss him. So he's got that that breakaway speed to to, to get deep out there. And I think that's a, a plus for him. And I think with Fitzpatrick, if he's your starting quarterback, that they can use that to their advantage. Um again, he, he wasn't a guy that was going to break a lot of tackles. He's not like DJ Moore type that one reason he was a number one receiver was his yards after catch were the most impressive thing about him. So uh, he's not going to be used that way because they don't expect him. But I, I do think that he can use that speed. He'll tell you probably that he's the fastest guy on the team now because he always argued that, you know, if they put a track team here at Carolina with the wide receivers, he'd probably be the, the anchor guy. So, yeah, I, I, I think that speed is going to definitely be a plus. It's definitely a plus for any team in the league right now. And you see because speed does, as they like to say, kill in the NFL. So, um, but again, he he was used more as possession receiver. He's really big this year, this past season on third down. I mean, he he became Teddy Bridgewater's like security blanket on third down, and his percentage of uh, completions on third down for first downs, I think, was one or two in the league. Yeah, well, you know, and that's why I ask because like a lot of the stuff that I saw him on, there underneath stuff. There's underneath routes that seem to be. The, the heavy emphasis and even I think, you know, you, some of the highlights you'd see him is more underneath getting able and maybe, you know, getting yards at the catch that way or whatever. But um, I would, like I said, I think they're going to, well, you're right. They have to use him right. Um, as a, as, as, as just as a route runner, how would you, how was he classified down there? What did you, what did, what did people there say about him? Yeah. a solid route runner. I don't think, again, he's not in Christian McCaffrey level. Maybe not DJ Moore's level here, but um, I think he's definitely at a class where he can be really effective with that. He he was very, pretty precise with that. His problem his first few years in the league is he had Cam Newton as his quarterback. Cam was going through some inconsistencies because of his accuracy. And, you know, a lot of time I guess Curtis Curtis would make the plays, be in the right spot, and Cam just didn't get him the ball. So last year was the first time he really was in a system that fit him with a quarterback that was very accurate and Teddy Bridgewater that fit him. Um, that's, that's why I said it, it's got to be a system. And I, I talked to a lot of people around the league about this. And I think Samuel is more of a system type guy. He's got to be in that right fit. And I'm just not sure unless Washington does something to change from what I've known Ron Rivera and his offense in the past. I'm just not sure how good of a fit that's going to be. Well, that's good to know. And we'll keep an eye on it. And I think having Ryan Fitzpatrick, you would think would help. We'll see. Great insight, David. Appreciate you coming on and, and as always providing my listeners with good insight on this deep, deep connection to Carolina. I think between you guys and the uh, Bills, there's a lot of Carolina players out there right now. I actually was going through the list of how many uh, Carolina players are on the Washington roster compared to starters from the, or, or key players from the last year Ron was here. And there's still more players on the Carolina roster from that year, but it's pretty Getting, starting there narrow the gap a little bit. I think it's the rest of the building is up here. I think that's what it is. It's not It's not as much the players as it is 
coaches and front office and everybody else. So, yeah, yep. maybe quality yep. people there. I think the staff is really solid, and I think that Ron will get things turned around up there, and uh, that that program will be heading the right direction. Again, you got to kind of kind of same boat, Carolina. You got to have that franchise quarterback that can turn yeah. things around. Well, and I and it sounds like Carolina is desperately looking for one guy right now. So we'll see what happens. David, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, John. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Ben Baby to talk William Jackson III, where he bounced back in 2020, and why he struggled in 2019. Also, why so few picks? What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Ben Baby. All right, Ben. Well, Washington wanted to bring back Ronald Darby. They couldn't get him, so they go out and get a guy that you're familiar with in William Jackson III. In general, let's start with this. What is Washington getting in him? What's the Jackson package? You know, William Jackson's a, a really fast guy, number one. I think he's got elite speed. We saw that when he was in Houston, when he were, he was healthy in, in Cincinnati. He missed his first year with an injury, and, and then after that, he's been pretty good. Uh, you know, his 2017 year, when you look at the numbers, I mean, they were off the charts. And I think that's when whenever he was healthy and that when he was on the field, people uh, when, it, when it came back from that injury in 2016 and 2017, uh, he was phenomenal. Uh, when you look at the tape, the numbers kind of dropped off over the last couple of years. I think 19 wasn't as good as uh, people would have hoped. And then this year in 20, I thought he had a bounce back season. You saw him. Uh, make some really good plays. I think one of the big keys was in 2019, he was playing with the torn labrum kind of oh. the first year in, in Lou Anarumo's scheme. And now in 2020, you know, fully healthy, no shoulder problems and was able to, you know, I thought he played with a lot more confidence. You saw him uh, make a lot of plays in one-on-one coverage. And I think that when, when the, you know, you anticipated him getting a big deal in free agency. So it makes sense that Washington did what they did in order to get him. And with with this year, too, because that was a tough year for that defense. Um, How much was he impacted by that? You know, he's joining a team that has a really good pass rush. How much was he impacted by maybe what else was around him last year? Or how much did that factor into his play, good or bad, one way or another? Well, actually, funny you mentioned that, because I think he had a couple things working against him in that defense. Uh, Number one. The pass rush has not been nearly as good as it's needed to be the last couple of years. The Bengals were last in the NFL in pass rush, and as we know, pass rush and pass coverage are intertwined. You know, if one is struggling, the other one is going to also be a problem as well. So, you know, that being said, uh, you know, I think if the Bengals would have been able to get more pass rush, you probably would have seen better numbers from their pass defense. And then number two, the Bengals were without their other top corner, Trey Waynes, for the entire year last season because of a uh, pectoral injury he suffered in, during training camp. So therefore, you know, it was easy for other opponents to uh, to go ahead and just attack the other cornerback. And, you know, when, especially when it was LaShawn Sims, who I think was one of the worst corners in the league, unfortunately for him, uh, while he was on the field. So <laughs> by and large, you know, William Jackson was really their only reliable corner who was on the field at all times last season. He had to play a lot of snaps. I, I think that maybe affected things. But by and large, I thought he played pretty well. 
you know, considering what we saw in 2019 compared to what we saw in 20, I thought whenever he was in coverage, when he was in one-on-one, he was able to to hold his own, was able to make some plays on deep balls. Uh, I thought he was able to track the ball better in the air. And so there, there's a lot of good things that you saw on tape where you said, okay, if a team was willing to pay him, this is what you're getting. So, you know, you're not maybe getting the 2017 William Jackson, but still I think you're getting a very solid shutdown corner uh, who's who's playing very well and who's got some tremendous speed and some really good physical traits. And, you know, it's funny because when they played Washington, he was all over Terry McLaurin, and they had a nice battle there. And Terry won a couple, but even with some of the ones he won down the field, William was right there. I mean, his coverage was pretty good in that game. Was he – did they play mostly man coverage? Did he – what – like, you know, because these guys are going to play zone. They did this – I don't know if they're going to switch or not because Darby was a man corner when he came here and they played a lot of zone still. But it sounds like William's strength has always been press man. How much did they do with that? How much zone would they mix in there? They did some exotic things at the beginning of Luana Rumo's um, tenure in 2019. And as they got, they got towards the end of 2020, I think they simplified the defense and, and, and you know, kept things, you know, they love playing cover to a good amount, uh, which, which obviously is still going to leave you uh, in some, in some underneath stuff where you're playing cover or playing where you're kind of playing some man underneath and then, you know, releasing up top. Uh, and the thing is, I think William's going to be able to adapt to both. I think the, the reason why he's able to play press man so well is because he has that speed. I mean, he's not worried about getting beat. If you, if you're a guy who's able to press and do that successfully, it's because your ability to have that makeup speed on the back end, you're not worried about getting burned. Right. And so I think that's going to be the, the, the key thing with him. And so, you know, he's going to be, I think playing zone is going to be something that he's going to be able to adapt to pretty easily, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, being able to, I think it's all about communication at that point, making sure that you're on the same page. And whenever we saw pass breakdowns uh, when the Bengals were in zone coverage last year, it was primarily because, you know, there was, there seemed to be a miscommunication mm-hmm. whenever, you know, you were, you were, you were uh, passing off, uh, a man from you know the corners to the safeties or the linebackers or the corners to the safeties or vice versa, or you're playing an inverted cover two or things of that nature. So, you know, most of the time when we're seeing breakdowns in zone coverage and it's across the board, it's because there is that miscommunication or is that 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 struggle, you know, in in converting assignments over. So, you know, that I think that's gonna be the problem. I don't think William's gonna be I think he's gonna be able to pick up whatever is thrown at him from that aspect of it. And you know, and he's still you know, very young. Obviously, you know, this will be his sixth year in the league. Uh, he hasn't really had a lot of injury problems, you know, aside from uh, a couple that we mentioned. So I think that he's still going to be in his, in his physical prime and should be able to do the things he's done well over the years. How much did he rotate with guys or would he stick to his side? We asked them that a ton. And I think that, you know, it depended on the matchup, whether right. which is way should be or, good. Or, or, or not. So I think that you know he's been able to do both. Uh, if if they need him to if they need him to travel, he'll do so. If not, then he'll he'll stick uh, to one side. But I think by and large, I think it just depends on the defensive coordinator's philosophy uh, and whether you'd rather have a guy playing on one boundary or the other, or you'd rather have them against their best receiver in what matchup works better. And then he only the other thing too that would get pointed out, and I pointed out because it is it is part of his stats is he only had three picks there. Now I also know when you play a lot of man, sometimes you're not going to get those opportunities. Zone is where you're going to get a lot of them in a lot of defenses. But how much was that a topic of conversation with him? And what would be maybe some of the explanation for that? You know, some of that is probably zone, but I also think that sometimes I think he he does need to track the ball a little bit better. I, I did say he improved in 2020, but I think there's probably some strides to be made in that regard. I think that's definitely the one detriment 
um, in, in what he's what he, you know his game over the years is that he hasn't been able to get those interceptions like he did in 17. I think in 2017. Let me check my notes here. Uh, you know he ended up with uh, let's see, he only had one interception. He had one interception, 19, so two total uh, over the course of that span. And just and you know I think he, he's around uh, opposing wide receivers enough. He's around the ball enough where he should be able to have a, a better nose for that. I think that's one thing. Uh, that that he does need to improve on his game, like you said. You know, not playing enough zone. Well, you know, is is not. You know, sometimes zone's a little more conducive for getting interceptions. If you're playing in man, you know, it really takes an exceptional play uh, to get an interception uh, when you're when you're a cornerback. So I think that's probably the one big knock on him is that his ability to maybe track the ball as well as others uh, behind him, and then uh, converting those the, you know that coverage into turnovers is going to be something that he'll need to definitely improve on in Washington. There have been, you know, um, between like Dunlap and a few other guys coming out of there, it sounds like there were some people who had a hard time playing there the last couple of years because of all the losing and whatever. How did he handle all that, do you think? I think he handled that pretty well, uh, to be honest. I think there is a, a lot to be said for maybe the struggle to to adapt to what Luana Rimo was wanting to do over these last couple of years. Uh, you know, whether it was, you know, the 3-4 the, the scheme that, that Lou was trying to, to put in without really having the players to do so. Or, you know, they did a lot of exotic stuff on the back end. Like you said, you know, last year, uh, you know, they've, they've given up TDs on inverted cover two, really been trying to play some exotic bluffs, exotic looks, uh, really wanted to kind of keep teams on their toes. And I thought they were at their best at the end of last season when they really simplified things. And Jesse Bates, their safety, said that as well. So, I think that it, not as much losing. I mean, that obviously plays a part in it, but I think by and large, it's really just um, just adapting to to a new scheme. And you got to remember that they've had a, you know a couple different coordinators right. three years. I mean, last year Marvin Lewis's tenure, they fired the defensive coordinator in the middle of the year uh, in Terrell Austin. Uh, Marvin took over, and then Lou Anarumo has been the coordinator for two years, and this is his first full time coordinator job as well. So. I think that's been a component as to why this defense struggled as well. They've been just trying to find a way uh, to kind of get the right feel and mesh under Anna Rumo. They started to look like they did at the end of 2020. But, uh, you know, I think there's definitely been some frustration that things haven't gone uh, the way that people would have hoped the last couple of years. And, and he, you know, I heard he's like he's a pretty quiet guy in the locker room. How is he in there? And just like with teammates and all that, like what kind of guy is he? Yeah, he's definitely a pretty quiet guy. He doesn't really talk, talk a whole lot, uh, keeps to himself and, and, you know, one thing that, you know, we talked about him going into the 2020 season is that I think after he had that rough 2019 uh, where he was playing injured, I think he, he talked to his mom and he's like, you know, I just want to go out. And she said, just go out and have some fun, you mm -hmm. know, you know, play football and enjoy it. And you started to see that a little bit more. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely a, a pretty happy guy. Really, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, done really well for himself when you look at his background and where he's came out of. Uh, he, you know, coming out of uh, – he played football in Houston – and, you know, there's a lot of really great programs. He didn't really go to one. He went to right. uh, one of the inner city schools that really didn't have a, a ton of background, one that, one that really isn't successful in Wheatley. Uh, you know, obviously he was uh, one, of the, one of the big fun facts with him is that he was there at the same time as Xavier Howard, uh, which mm. is always fascinating. And then he went to Houston, uh, which also isn't known for, for pumping out first-round picks. And he ended up, you know, making it out of there. Uh, to be a first-round pick and, and you know, has shown why over the years when he's been on the field and when he's been playing well. So I think last year you saw, if you're, if you're a Washington fan looking for what you might get out of him, you know, I think you're hoping that what you saw in 2020 in, in a better defense as well um, should be very encouraging, especially when it looked like, you know, he was really finding his groove. Uh, you could really see him playing with confidence. He was enjoying himself out there. 
and that always leads to great production. And, and I think that especially now in a new in a new home, uh, in a new city, on a new team, I think he's going to find himself in a good situation. And I think that pass rush, he's going to enjoy having that too, because any corner any corner does, and and that that will be a key to anybody's game. Ben, that's great insight, and I appreciate your time. I think people are excited to have to see what he can do for this defense, and we go from there. So I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thanks, John. That's it for this episode. Thanks to David and Ben for joining me. Hope you enjoyed their insight, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Sunday night or Monday morning. I don't think there's going to be a need for any more bonus podcasts for a while. You never know. Regardless, talk to you next time.